Father, we do thank you for um, just your mercy, your grace to us um, in allowing us to meet together with our brothers and sisters. Um, yeah, God, we know that we need times like this, uh, even though it's uh, maybe requires work and it's tiring. Um, and yeah, maybe some of us are even feeling unmotivated. Um, God, we know that this is necessary for our souls and that it's an opportunity for us to love one another. Um, so thank you for just the grace of fellowship. Um, thank you for this body of believers that we get to be a part of. Um, thank you also for your word and, and that we can learn from it, that you instruct us and teach us. Um, thank you for your spirit who dwells in our hearts, who um, day by day is producing change and, and fruit in our lives. And we know that, uh, yeah, as believers that we have that confidence that you are making us more into the image of Christ. And that includes um, you're making these fruit of the spirit more evident in us. And so I do pray that as we now turn our attention to uh, the topic of kindness specifically, I pray that you would use this time in your word to grow us in kindness, help us to know deeply and personally uh, in a very real way, just how much you've been kind to us. And I pray that you'll give us the strength to be kind to others as well. Um, God, we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, we are halfway through our study on the fruit of the Spirit. Sorry, let me send the notes real quick. Yeah, so we're halfway through our study on the fruit of the Spirit. We have four more messages to go after this one. Um, so we are exactly halfway through. Um, when I was in seminary, one of my professors would one of my professors would always say this statement. He would say, "Repetition is the key to learning. The key to learning is repetition." Um, and he would always say that. And so uh, I think it works. So just let me refresh our memory on some of the things that uh, I mentioned about the fruit of the spirit, just in general, from the very first message, because I think they are good reminders as we continue in this series, and I think they're good reminders. Uh, especially as we talk about kindness tonight. Okay, so first, remember we said that fruit here, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that it is singular, right? It's a singular fruit. Um, and Paul here in these verses gives us this list of like nine different virtues or fruits or whatever you want to call them. Uh, but really, they're one fruit, right? And that means that each of us are called to grow and we're called to cultivate and we're called to practice all of them. Um, I read a quote from John Stott in the very first message where he said, it's together, all of these fruit together, that they constitute Christ's likeness. Uh, and he said that some without the others is to be a lopsided Christian. Okay, so uh, the fact that this fruit here is singular means that they're all related. And, and we're going to see that tonight. Okay, kindness is going to have a lot of overlap with uh, things that we've already talked about, like love um, or patience or um, goodness, which we're going to talk about next time, uh, and some of these other things on the list, okay? So that's the first thing is uh, fruit is singular, right? So there's going to inevitably be relationship between these different fruits. And then second, we also said that the fruit of the Spirit are a sign of life, which are grown over time. Uh, that these qualities are not the result of personality traits or natural disposition or... Uh, family upbringing or the culture, uh, they are the miraculous product of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And I think Seichi did a really good job last week explaining what that looks like when it comes to patience specifically, right? 
Sure, there are some of us who are maybe naturally more patient than others, relatively speaking. But when you understand that patience is this spirit-produced ability to endure injury without retaliation, right? That's the definition that you went with. Um, that is totally not a natural thing, right? To endure injury without retaliation. And he pointed us to James chapter one, verses two and four. Um, he said that word steadfastness uh, or patience, that, that is produced, right? It's produced through trials and the testing of our faith. That's what grows us in patience. Um, and so I think we're going to see the same thing as we look at the fruit of kindness tonight. Okay, there's, uh, it's not just this like natural disposition, this personality trait, but it is uh, a fruit that is grown by the spirit himself. All right, so just to review, um, hopefully that kind of sets us in the right frame of mind. But let's talk about kindness specifically. Now, I don't think I really need to convince you that the word that best characterizes the time that we're living in right now is probably more harshness than kindness, right? Harshness rather than kindness. And you see it everywhere. You see it in the way that people talk to each other on the internet, uh, especially if you don't agree on the same things. Uh, you see that in politics, um, in the media, with name calling, criticizing, demonizing, attacking other people. Uh, especially recently, it seems like, at least for me, like when I read the news on the internet, it's like almost every other day that there's this like cell phone video of someone that's being really mean, right? Or like really unkind. Uh, they even have a name, they're called Karens. Um, and, and that video gets like posted to Facebook um, or to Twitter and, and like not to excuse whatever they did wrong, but then what ends up happening is like you get everyone else on the internet who gets angry at what they see and they become unkind right back, right? So like other people's harshness incites our own harshness. Other people's unkindness makes us unkind in return. Uh, there is one New York Times writer, he noted how in our culture today, it seems like people are actually seeking out things to be offended by. Okay, so it's not like, not only do people seek the feeling of being right, which, you know, like people enjoy that, but also they actually enjoy the feeling of being wronged, uh, of being a victim, uh, because that becomes an opportunity to rally against a common enemy, um, or it's an opportunity to be outraged and unkind. And I think we see this with the whole uh, like cancel culture thing. Maybe you guys have heard of that in the news, um, people getting canceled. Um, and like, again, not to excuse whatever wrong was committed, but uh, I think cancel culture judges and it condemns people's entire careers and their entire reputation and their lives really based on sometimes just one mistake, right? And, and my point isn't so much to take one side or another, um, I know there's like issues about, you know, taking down statues of people, um, renaming buildings like at USC. I know that's, that's a conversation or maybe at some of your schools. Uh, but my point is like, this is what's happening right now, right? Like this is the tone and the tenor of our day. This is how people are feeling and treating one another. We live in a time that's more characterized by harshness rather than kindness. And unfortunately, I think this is often true, not just of the unbelieving world, not just outside of the church, but unfortunately also of other Christians. Um, you see this in the pursuit of right doctrine, right? People want to make sure they get doctrine straight and theological truth correct, but sometimes um, they sacrifice the need to show kindness, right, in the process. 
uh, or even right now, the situation of how and when to reopen churches. This is something that requires so much wisdom, so much thought, and so much discernment, and it depends on your own specific context. Um, and even with that, it's like such a complex issue, and there's a lack of kindness, and there's a lack of understanding between those who disagree with each other and what they want to do, what they think the best thing is to do. Uh, or how about this? Many of us might know an unsafe friend or family member who rejects the gospel, who has no interest in Christianity um, or the gospel because someone in their church was unkind to them and they were significantly hurt by it. And like, of course, we know theologically the reason for, for that is because of like their individual unbelief, right? That's why they're rejecting the gospel. But I think we've seen from personal experience that kindness or the lack of it can either be this significant help or it can be a, a significant hindrance to our ministry of the gospel. Right? It really makes a big difference. And so as I'm like describing all of this, I hope that you see just how important this particular fruit of the spirit is. It is so drastically different from the actions and the attitudes of our time and of our culture. Um, and it is something that must characterize us as Christians. It is something that uh, must describe us as those who know God's kindness towards us. And that, like, that is the definition of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, it's proof that the Spirit is working in your life. This is what should be produced if God, the Holy Spirit, is dwelling in your heart and working in you and if you know him. Okay, so uh, just to start us out, this is what we're talking about. Now, let's, let's work on a definition of kindness. Okay, so like I said at the beginning, kindness is, is closely related to some of the other virtues that Paul mentions here. Um, for example, patience, which we looked at last week, and kindness, they often go together in scripture. Um, a couple of passages are 1 Corinthians 13, 4, uh, the famous love passage. It says, love is patient and love is kind. Um, Romans 2, 4, which we're going to look at later, talks about God's patience and kindness leading us to repentance. Uh, Maybe a distinction way that we can distinguish it is this. If, if patience is enduring the offenses of another, then I think we can maybe describe kindness as the active pursuit of the good of others. Okay. The active pursuit of the good of others. And I think for us in our everyday speech, I mean, we use these words somewhat synonymously, right? Um, patience, love, gentleness, kindness. Um, and I don't, I don't think that we necessarily have to draw super rigid distinctions. There's a lot of overlap. We all generally understand what kindness is. Like we've experienced it for ourselves. Maybe you guys just shared with each other your own personal experiences of that. Um, maybe we can think of a specific person, maybe even a non-Christian who, who we would describe as kind. Uh, but we'll, we'll define it in this way, just for our message. Okay, the fruit of kindness is a compassionate, others-directed generosity. A compassionate, others-directed generosity. And that refers to what's going on in our hearts and that refers to also our actions. Uh, it's the others directed generosity towards others, even when they don't deserve it, or even when they don't love us in return. It's a desire to do what is in your power to prevent discomfort in another, even if it might be inconvenient to you. Okay, and, and kindness goes beyond just duty or obligation, right? Kindness is doing something that you don't have to do. And kindness also, it goes beyond reward. Okay, it's doing something that you won't get paid to do. It's doing something without expecting any sort of thing in return. 
Um, and kindness actually costs you something most of the time, right? It, it costs you significantly sometimes, and it doesn't expect any reward. Um, kindness serves where there's a need. It acts for the good of another, even if that good might be hard to hear. Um, so Psalm 141.5, it puts it like this. It says, let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. Okay, so uh, being struck by a righteous man or being rebuked specifically, the psalmist says here is a kindness. That's good for me. Um, and maybe you've heard someone describe God in this way, like after a season of significant suffering, right? Maybe they say like, oh, as difficult as that season was for me, that God was kind um, because he revealed certain idols in my heart and he refined my faith through suffering, right? That's, that's part of uh, the definition of kindness. It's seeking another person's good, even if it's not what they think is good at that moment. Um, and like I said, I think we, we generally understand this idea, right? This definition. Um, but I think what the Bible does is it helps to fill out uh, this kind of popular or this general notion of kindness. Okay. And it teaches us a few things. So um, it's in your notes. For example, kindness describes not just what you do, but who you are. Okay. So kindness is not just like uh, a thing or an action. I know uh, you might've heard like random acts of kindness. You know, that's, uh, that's something that's encouraged. That's something that's talked about a lot, but really kindness describes someone's character, right? Kind deeds are done by people who are themselves kind and heart. Uh, so kindness not, is not just what you do, but it's who you are. And then second, biblical kindness is more than just being polite or nice. Okay, I think this is pretty uh, distinct from the world's definition of kindness. It's not just niceness. It's not just being courteous. Uh, you see, the thing about, I think, niceness or politeness is that sometimes it can describe what other people think about us more than the actual motives of our own hearts, right? Does that make sense? It can describe what other people think about us and, and how they see us more than like what's actually the reason why we're actually doing stuff. And Jesus warns about this. He says, uh, he says don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, right? Uh, and he says that because like there's that temptation for like self-congratulation. There's that temptation for affirmation, for being concerned about like, do others praise you for what you're doing? Um, biblical kindness is different from that. Biblical kindness goes hand in hand with a genuine love for another person, right? It's, it's uh, devoid of self-interest. It's concerned genuinely about the good of another person. And I hope we understand that you can't really have one without the other, right? You can't have love apart from kindness uh, or, or kindness apart from love. Okay, kindness apart from love is just niceness, right? So it's what we talked about. Uh, it's, it's just doing nice things without actually being invested in the other person. And then love apart from kindness is a James 2.16 type of love. Um, in James 2.16, it says, uh, like this person says, sees someone in need and, and, and they say, be warmed and be filled. And then they just leave and they don't actually provide for their needs. Okay, that's love apart from kindness. That's love apart from actually expressing that love in tangible action. Uh, there's a bunch of like taglines or different sayings that have to do with kindness that you might have heard before. Um, one of them is just be kind. It's easy. Or another one says, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Uh, and like, I, I think the, like, those kinds of sayings give the impression that like, it's just this choice that we make. 
right? It's just like, just do it. Uh, but I think what scripture shows us is that kindness is actually pretty difficult. It's not just, just be kind. It's easy, but kindness actually takes a lot of strength. And, and it takes a lot of strength because kindness as described in scripture isn't just a passing gesture. It's not just this impulse that you once in a while act on. It is a commitment for the long haul. Okay. It's a long-term investment and it's not just for the random stranger that you might never see again. You know, the, the barista or the waiter that you decide to tip generously or um, the friend that every once in a while you write a note to. It's not just for people who once in a while pop up in your life, but uh, the, Bible, the Bible says it's even for those who sin against you. That's what Jesus gets at in Luke 6, 34 to 35. Uh, we looked at this passage during the love sermon, but Jesus says, what good is it if you love those who love you back? Right? He says, even sinners can do that. Anyone can love or anyone can lend someone money if they know that they'll get the money back. But he says, rather love your enemies and do good without expecting nothing in return. Uh, that's kindness, right? This long-term investment in the good of others, even if even your enemies. And the reason for that, that we get in Luke six is he says, because that is what God does. He says that God is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. All right. So that leads us to kind of this next section, which is, um, if that is what God does, right? If we are to be kind because God is kind, then let's, let's try to understand God's kindness better. And like we've been saying for a lot of the messages so far, um, we learn kindness from God's kindness to us, right? We did the same thing last week. We learned patience from God's patience to us. Um, and I think Seiji did a really good job uh, showing us that, right? And he talked about how God's natural disposition, his, his heart, um, just who he, who he is naturally is towards mercy rather than wrath. Right? He said that God is patient towards us, um, that he is willing to wait because he's eager to show us his very heart. He's eager to show us uh, mercy, which just overflows from him. That's why he's patient. And I think a lot of what Seichi said last week uh, applies also to God's kindness. Okay, kindness is at the heart, is at the core of God's very heart. Last time we looked at Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. If you guys remember this passage, this is when uh, the Lord Yahweh passes by Moses, right? And uh, God reveals his glory to Moses. And he says in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, right? And that's, that's the, those, those were the words we focused on last week, right? This idea of God being patient um, or, or the picture is like long nostriled, right? It takes a long time um, for, for God to be angry. So that's God's patience. And then look at the next word. It says, uh, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and sin. And I want to point out that word there for steadfast love is the Hebrew word has said. Um, you might have heard that word before. It's one of, I guess, the more popular or one of the more significant uh, words in the Hebrew. And it's been translated a number of different ways in the Bible. Uh, people have used the word mercy 
or steadfast love or faithfulness, or they've even kind of mashed together like two words and they've made the word loving kindness. Uh, it's been translated all those different ways. Um, and there's so many different translations because it's hard to capture the depth of the meaning of this word. And Hesed is talking about a covenant love. And it's talking about God's loyalty and God's love coming together into one word. Uh, and why is that important? Well, like we said earlier, unlike the momentary actions, unlike the momentary impulses that this world would define as kindness, this is how God's kindness is. It's a said kind of kindness. It's a kindness that is covenantal. It's a, it's a commitment that he has made in love and in kindness. And his kindness is consistent. Okay, I mean, think about that for yourself, right? Does the word consistent describe your kindness? And I think for us, our kindness is often temporary. Uh, it's impulsive. It's fleeting. It's conditional. If someone wrongs us, we, we stop being kind to them. Um, our love and our kindness, it has a limit. But God's kindness is unchanging. It is, uh, it's, it's founded on this covenant that he's made with his people. It's unchanging as his character. And that means that God is kind even in the face of wrong, even to those who are unworthy. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament, right? We see God's kindness towards Israel. Um, Hosea 11. If you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to Hosea 11. Uh, I'm going to just read verses 1 to 4. So Hosea 11, 1 to 4, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They, they kept sacrificing to the Baals and, and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. Right. Two things I want to notice from, I want you to notice from that passage. Um, it says the more that they were called, the more that they went away. And God is, is calling them to return. And the more that he does that, the more that they're walking further and further into their rebellion and, to, and into their like literal idolatry. But look at what God does, right? It's what Seichi showed us last week. God it stands ready to pardon. He's ready to demonstrate that he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger. He's ready to demonstrate that he is abounding in steadfast love and has said, if people would just repent of their sin and return to him, but even in their continued rebellion, it says that God led them with cords of kindness. Right? He led them with bands of love. That's God's kindness, even to those who have wronged him. Even as they are wronging him, God is kind with them and leading them uh, with these bands of love, these cords of kindness. Um, and for us, we know that God had this special covenant relationship with Israel. Right? But I mean, this, we see this kindness demonstrated to all of humanity in even a broader sense. Um, passages like, like Luke 6, we looked at earlier, or Acts 14, 17, Matthew 5, 45. It talks about how God provides rain and fruitful seasons. He causes the sun to rise on both the evil and the good. Um, if you guys have been with us in our systematic theology class, uh, we, we call that calming grace. Right? God's kindness, even in the face of wrong, even to those who are unworthy to good and to the evil. Uh, we know that the greatest demonstration of God's kindness is in his son, Jesus Christ. So Titus 3, 4, and 5, it says that 
when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Uh, in the famous Ephesians 2 passage, right? It talks about how we've been saved by grace through faith. Um, and you might have missed this in that passage, but it says in verse 7, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All right, kindness is going to be this, this, this banner, this thing that's going to be um, just constantly displayed uh, in, in the death and the resurrection of Christ throughout all of eternity, along with the immeasurable riches of God's grace. Uh, one more thing I want to point out about God's kindness before we move on. <clears throat> that the proper response to God's kindness is to receive it. Okay, the proper response to God's kindness is to receive it, is to go to him. And we saw that in those passages with Israel earlier, right? Like God says, I, I've been leading you with kindness. I am ready to uh, forgive. I am ready to show you steadfast love if you would just return to me. Um, but just, I, I want to point out a couple more passages that show us this. Uh, Matthew 11, 29, 30. This is what Jesus says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart for, and you will find rest for your souls. Okay. This is a familiar passage. And he says, for my yoke is easy. And that word there for easy is the same word for kind. Okay. For my yoke is kind and my burden is light. Uh, <clears throat> you guys probably know this uh, imagery here, but a yoke is this heavy wooden beam or this crossbar that is placed on top of oxen to force them to drag like the plow across the field, right? It's, it's this really heavy burdensome thing. Um, that's why when someone is really muscular or really buff, you would say that they are yoked um, because it is this heavy burden that requires a lot of strength, right? It's biblical. Uh, and, and Jesus says here, if, if you're tired, if you're burdened, come to me and take my yoke upon you. And I think what Jesus is saying here is supposed to be ironic. He's saying, like, put this burden on, on yourself. Like, take this yoke upon you, but my yoke is a non-yoke. Like, my yoke is kind. It's easy. My burden is light. And Jesus says, come to me, right? That is the, it's on the basis of Jesus' kindness that he invites us to come to him. And then one more passage that shows us this, Romans 2.4. This is... Uh, a significant verse about God's kindness. And Seichi looked at it last week with patience, but Paul says this in Romans 2, 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Right? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Did you catch Paul's logic in that verse? He says that it is God's kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance, right? But what that means is that God's kindness comes first, right? God's kindness is there. We haven't turned yet. We are still his enemies. We haven't repented and God shows us kindness. Okay, so we don't repent in order to get God to be kind to us. Oh, it says here, Romans 2, 4, we get God's kindness and then we are led to repent and then we're led to turn to him. And I think this point is important that, that the proper response to God's kindness is to go to him. I think this point is important because understanding who we are as recipients of God's kindness help us, helps us to uh, recalibrate our own motives, our own expectations as we show kindness to other people. 
uh, I think we all kind of know there's, there's that kind of unspoken expectation, right? That this other party, this other friend or family member is going to reciprocate if you show them, if you do something nice for them, right? For example, if, uh, you know, <clears throat> if someone writes you a note, if someone gets food delivered um, to your house or to your apartment, then like all of a sudden you have to start to think about what you can do in return for this person, right? It, it wasn't even a thought on your mind, but because they did something nice for you, all of a sudden you have to think about how you can serve them. Um, or maybe just, you know, growing up, you've been raised and you've been taught, like never show up at someone's house without bringing a gift. Um, and I think that's, that's a good rule of thumb. Like you should do that. Um, but I think like my point is there's this aspect of obligation, right? It's this just formality. It's this expectation. Um, you do it because you're supposed to do it or you do it because someone did something for you, but that's not what God's kindness is like. And so I think for us, as we show kindness to others, we can't attach conditions. We can't attach expectations when we show kindness to other people. And so before we move on, let me, let me just ask you this. Do you know God to be kind? I mean, do you know his kindness? And I'm asking you uh, functionally. I'm asking you like honestly and practically, right? Not theologically. I think we all know the right answer that God is kind. But when you think about your life, do you respond to him as if he is more harsh or, if he is, or as if he is more kind? And in what ways have you personally experienced the kindness of God in your own life? Um, I came across this quote the other day. Uh, it says that humble people don't say in shock, Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. Instead, you say with wonder and awe and gratitude, Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with us. Right? Humble people don't say in shock, Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. Instead, you say with wonder and awe and gratitude, Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with us. <clears throat> and I think that applies to God's kindness. It's not just understanding that God, uh, like in his nature, that he is kind, but it is understanding and thinking about and meditating on how he has been lavishly kind to you. Where have you experienced that? And I think that's where we start to grow in showing that same kindness to other people. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to look at, we'll go through this quickly, but I want to look at Ephesians 4, uh, 31. There's a couple of verses there. Um, and I want to pull just a few practical ideas from what we can learn about biblical kindness. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 4. Um, verse, and, uh, I'll start reading in verse 31, and we'll read to chapter 5, verse 2. <clears throat> so Ephesians 4, starting in verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, three ideas really quickly I want to I pull from this. Okay, first thing is this, that kindness sees a whole person. Okay, kindness sees a whole person. If you look in verse 32, that word tender-hearted. Uh, I think the picture of someone who is tender-hearted is someone whose heart is easily moved. Okay, if 
if you if you were to touch it, if you were to imagine uh, like prodding at their heart, their heart is soft and it is effective. And I want you to, I want you to think about does that describe the kind of person that you are? Does that describe your heart? Easily moved, tender-hearted. I mean, even before we get to kindness. Uh, like demonstrated in practical action, I think an important first step is thinking about how do you view other people, right? What is the posture of your heart towards them? And I'm not just talking about emotions, although I think emotions are important, right? It says weep with those who weep in scripture, but I'm talking about how do you see the whole person when you look at them? Um, in Beacon and at Lighthouse, the paradigm that we've mentioned often is sinner, sufferer, saint, right? When you look at someone, are you able to see that person according to all three of these categories? And I think when it comes to growing in kindness specifically, I'm guessing we are unkind because it's, it's probably that sinner category is bigger than the other two, right? We see them more as a sinner than we see them as a sufferer and more than we see them as a saint. Rather than a whole person, we see them, he or she, as this problem to be fixed, as an issue to be corrected, as an opinion to be proven wrong. Um, as an inconvenience to be avoided. But I think as we start to see the whole person, right, hopefully as we, as we have a better eye for other people's real suffering, um, that as we like, see the hurt that they're going through, we can grow in having a heart that's tender and compassionate and sympathetic. And hopefully as we grow in having a better eye for how this person is a saint, right, how God is continually working in the lives of those around us, then that can grow in us this eagerness and this excitement to join in on what God is doing in that person's life. Um, I think Jesus was a great example of this. In John chapter eight, Jesus is with some scribes and some Pharisees and they bring this woman who's caught in adultery in front of them. And these religious leaders, they want to shame her. They want to condemn her uh, and make an example of her. And when Jesus looks at her, he doesn't just see her as a sinner but he sees her as a person. And he says, I do not condemn you. Now go and sin no more. I do not condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And I want you to realize that order is important, isn't it? That it is, it's his kindness, right? It's his refusal to condemn her just as this like wicked sinner. It's his kindness. It's his tenderheartedness that leads to repentance. He says, now go, right? I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So that's the first thing. Okay? Kindness sees the whole person. Um, second, kindness acts towards those who are unworthy. And I, um, I see the phrase in Ephesians 4, it says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, we already talked about this a little bit, so we won't spend too long on this, but I think this is related to what we just said. Okay? Seeing the whole person, it doesn't ignore the reality that other people sin. And even, even more that they sin against us, right? But kindness is not ignorant um, about the fact that other people are sinners. Kindness is not cynical either. It doesn't uh, believe the worst about people. But kindness is willing to move towards others and serve others, even if that means enduring all of the hard parts of walking with sinful people. Um, I think Ruth's example of kindness to her mother-in-law, Naomi, is a good example of this. In fact, I encourage you guys to read through the book of Ruth. It's a short book in the Old Testament, but uh, that word has said that we talked about earlier, like that is prominent all over the book of Ruth. God's kindness um, reflected in their different relationships. But if you guys don't know the story, Naomi uh, goes through significant suffering. 
right? Her husband and her two sons, they passed away. She's basically left all alone uh, with her daughters-in-law. Um, but realize her suffering like causes her to sin a little bit, right? Her suffering makes her bitter. And if you've ever been around bitter people, you know it's probably pretty unpleasant, right? It's not fun to be around people who are bitter. And yet we see in that story that Ruth clung to Naomi. Right? Ruth is willing to give up her better prospects of her own life, right? A future for herself, um, maybe even meeting a husband. She's willing to give that all up in order to be with Naomi, her mother-in-law. And that's where we get to her famous promise in Ruth 2, 16 and 17, uh, where Ruth promises to Naomi and she says, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And that's that word has said that we were talking about earlier, this covenantal committal kindness, even in the face of a lot of bitterness, a lot of unpleasantness and a lot of sin. Um, it's, it's kindness towards others means that uh, you are willing to be in it for the long haul. You're committed to those uh, even who sin against you. And so maybe just one simple but practical question, helpful question to consider might be, do you follow up with others? Or like, how are you with like following up with people? And I think following up, checking in, not just having, you know, like one conversation, but like checking in on prayer requests that have been shared, that communicates this ongoing concern for those that we show kindness to. Like the Good Samaritan in the parable, are you willing to see someone through from beginning to end, right? Not just to bandage that person's wounds on the side of the road, but even to make sure that that person has a warm bed to rest in, um, that, you, that all the expenses have been paid. And then third, kindness meets the tangible needs of others. Okay, and you see that, or that verse there, it says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Um, Christ met our need, right? He met our need by giving of himself. And like we said earlier, love and kindness, they go hand in hand um, because love that isn't expressed in kindness is meaningless. James 2, it says, what good is it to say, be warmed and be filled without actually providing for that person's needs? And so just a couple questions I want you to think about here. First is, do you know the specific needs of those around you? Or like, do you actually even know what they need? Like if you wanted to show kindness to a friend that you have in mind, would you know what would be particularly helpful um, or necessary or meaningful to that person at the moment? And, and we gain that information by listening, right? We gain that information by being in other people's lives so that you can know them and so that you can understand them. And then second are you willing to go out of your way to meet the needs of others? Okay, are you willing to go out of your way to meet the needs of others? Um, I think we get a good picture of this in 2 Samuel 9. Um, it's, in 2 Samuel 9, we have King David, and he is at the, like, the high point of uh, his kingship. And he says, uh, he makes this strange request or this strange question. He says, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Um, the background behind that is that back in 1 Samuel 20, 42, that David had made this promise to care for his friend, Jonathan. And he said, I'll take care of your family. Um, I'll provide for you. And 2 Samuel 9, this is much later, right? David has all these other things going on now. Jonathan's out of the picture. And you think of all of the excuses that David could have made for not keeping that promise. All right, first of all, like, David or Jonathan's dad, Saul, right, tried to kill him. 
Um, David had more important things to do as king of Israel. Jonathan wasn't there anymore. Uh, David doesn't owe him anything, like, legally. But David goes out of his way to seek an opportunity to show kindness and to do good to someone in need. And he actually literally summons his servant. And he says, go, like, find a need, find a person that I can do good to. And they actually find um, Jonathan's disabled son, um, and, and David is able to show kindness towards him. But that's what David, or that's what kindness looks like, right? It's relatively easy to send a nice note. It's relatively easy to drop off a gift to someone. But are you willing to go out of your way to do good to another person? Are you seeking out opportunities to show kindness and to meet the needs of others? And so as you're thinking about those principles, let me just give you three specific areas of application. Okay. Um, one, first one is your speech. Are you kind in your speech? Uh, a few verses before our passage in Ephesians 4.29, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When you read that, does Ephesians 4.29 describe the way that you use your words? Right? Is that the filter? Is that your rubric through which you, descri- which, uh, through which you decide what to say and what not to say? Kindness with our words means that we are speaking with the purpose of giving grace to those who hear. Right? That's what it says in that verse. Uh, we, are, we are seeking to build others up rather than to tear others down. And so for you, do you speak kindly of others? Right? And I said, uh, and I think like I'm, I'm, I have gossip specifically in mind. I think for us, we are, uh, we are often probably a little too scared to speak unkindly like directly to someone's face unless we're really upset. So that maybe that doesn't happen as often, but it is very easy for us to speak unkindly about other people, right? About other people behind their back um, as we're talking with uh, friends or, or family or whatever. Uh, so do you speak kindly of others, even if they're not there, even if they're not around? Or maybe one step you can take is to ask yourself, um, like how is your tone in general? Right? As you talk about people, as you use your words, as you ask questions or ask favors, how's your tone? Um, or I would even say, like, give others permission to honestly ask that question about you. Right? Like, if you were to, say, like, if you were to describe you know, just my overall tone, like, how would you, what words would you use? And when you ask people to answer that question, you have to say it in a nice tone in order for it to work. Um, but ask that question, right? Like how would, how do you come across to other people with your words? Um, second area of application is the environment of your relationships. There is multiple passages in the new Testament that talk about the importance of the environment of our relationships. Okay. For example, Colossians 3, 19, 1 Peter 3, 7, Ephesians 5, 33. Um, it talks about how marriage is even despite kind of the gender differences, role differences between husband and wife, that marriages need to be characterized by respect and thoughtfulness, right? That is the atmosphere of that relationship. That is the environment of that relationship. Um, Or in Ephesians 6, 4, Paul talks about this in the context of parenting. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, right? Like anger is inexcusable. It's a sin still, but there's ways that you can parent as a father that provoke your children to anger right? That create that sort of environment. And so ask yourself, like, what is the environment of your relationships? In our relationships, do we make it easier or do we make it harder for others to confess sin, to ask for help, to offer correction, um, or to be honest? 
And the way that we cultivate a healthy, grace-filled environment is through kindness. Um, last area of application is time. So I think one of the biggest obstacles to growing in kindness, especially for you guys as students, often with many things on your plate, is busyness, right? It's always being in a hurry. Um, it's easy to be preoccupied with things to do, with tasks to complete, rather than to make people a priority. And what happens is when we are so overly focused on being busy, then kindness will always seem like an inconvenience. Kindness will always seem like an interruption to the things that we need to get done. But when you look at Jesus' life, when you look at his ministry in the Gospels, I think what you see consistently time over time, time and time again is that as busy as Jesus was, he was never in a hurry. In fact, he was constantly interrupted, but he was always ministering to people and looking for ways to be kind. Um, Christopher Wright, he's an author, he uh, points out some of the ways that Jesus was interrupted. He says, think of the woman with bleeding interrupting him on the way to an urgent medical emergency. Think of the parents bringing their children when his disciples were wanting to get on with their private lessons. Think of blind Bartimaeus, who kept shouting over the crowd until Jesus stopped. Think of the Syrophoenician woman, who wouldn't take no for an answer. Think of the woman who anointed his feet at a meal and scandalized the host. Even in Jesus' excruciating agony on the cross, he was thinking of the needs of his mother. And after his resurrection, he knew that hungry fishermen needed a good breakfast after a night at sea. Jesus was constantly interrupted, and yet he never saw that as an inconvenience because he was about people. Right? His priority was to be kind to people. That was his mission. And so what about you? Do you need to reevaluate your schedule? Right? Do you need to take some things out so that you can make time for other people? Or I know right now you guys don't, you guys have a lot of time. So, I mean, do you just need to be more intentional about planning, about making time with others to love others a priority in the things that you will seek to do each day? All right, let's start to bring this to a close. At the beginning, I talked about how many of us have, uh, unfortunately, uh, can probably think of an unsafe friend or family member who's been driven away from the gospel because of someone's unkindness, right? Unkindness can be a big obstacle to saving faith, but realize that on the other hand, on the flip side, spirit-produced kindness can be this beautiful signpost to the gospel. When we are kind to other people, we point others to God's kindness, and and God's kindness leads people to repentance. Uh, Some of you might know the author Rosaria Butterfield. Before she became a Christian, she was a leftist lesbian professor of English and women's studies. Uh, Butterfield was a pretty prominent voice for LGBT causes, and she actually really had a strong distaste for Christians. Um, And she says this herself. She says that her agenda, her mission, was to tear down the Bible because it was threatening, dangerous, and irrational. In fact, she was working on a book trying to do that, And uh, in the process, she wrote this article. She put it out in the local newspaper, and she basically put Christians on blast. It was just this anti-Christian article that she wrote. She hated Christians. Uh, They rubbed her the wrong way. And when she put this one article in the paper, uh, it got a lot of responses. And she said that on her desk, she had two, like, giant Xerox boxes. One box was for fan mail. And one, one uh, box was for hate mail. And as she was going through these responses, she would put 
the response neither one, fan mail or hate mail. And there is this one letter that she got from a local pastor, uh, and she says that she didn't know which box to put it in because it was just strangely kind. She says it was the kindest letter of opposition that I've ever received. And so uh, she didn't know what to do with it, and for seven days it just sat on her desk. Instead of arguing or berating the pastor in that letter, asked questions to understand. It was so different from everything else that she had been receiving. Well, eventually she reached out to this pastor and he invited her over for dinner with his family. And it wasn't this like sneaky evangelistic thing, right? They weren't just trying to like, uh, you know, like throw the gospel in there, but it actually became this friendship. And this pastor kept inviting her over and over again for dinner. And it became the, this regular thing and they formed this genuine friendship. And uh, she recounts how like he was so different. He listened, he engaged, he sought to understand. And she says that the kindness of this pastor to invite her into their home was instrumental. It was the turning point in her becoming a Christian. Now, maybe you guys can relate to that experience, right? Like that is why you are a Christian today. It wasn't an apologetic argument. It wasn't a moral imperative that made you turn to Jesus, but it was the strange and the surprising kindness of another Christian. I realize that is what kindness does. Right? That is, that's what God's kindness has done for us, right? God's kindness has led us to repentance. It's moved our hearts to respond to him. Um, that's, that's the kindness that we've experienced through others, right? God's kindness experienced through brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as believers, this is our opportunity to show that kindness to others as well, right? To put the gospel on display, to uh, point to God's kindness, the kindness that leads us to return to him and to repentance. It's only closed by just reading this quote by Dane Ortland. It's from that same, uh, same book that Seichi mentioned last week, Gentle and Lowly, uh, but it says this, and I think it sums up what we've been talking about. It says, only as we walk ever deeper into this tender kindness can we live the Christian life as the New Testament calls us to. Only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake everywhere we go the aroma of heaven and die one day having startled the world with glimpses of a divine kindness too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. Let's pray. God, your kindness uh, is amazing. It's wonderful. God, it's, uh, we don't deserve it. And we are so thankful that you went first, that you chose to be kind to us first. And it's the beauty of that kindness that moved our hearts to respond to you in repentance. And as those who have tasted of your kindness to us, Lord, would you, by your spirit, produce this fruit of kindness in our lives. Uh, we pray that the kindness that flows from us would be one that startles the world. Uh, in, a, in a time where harshness is so common, where meanness um, is so common, Lord, help us to be different. Help us to be your ambassadors um, and give us the strength to practice this in our own lives. God, you've been so kind to us and we thank you. We love you for that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.